You're listening to Mr. Suave at MrSuave.com. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Mr. Rockford, this is the Thomas Krause School of Dance and Contemporary Etiquette. We aren't going to call again. Now, you want these free lessons or what? you 
want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. Hi, this is Sal from the Gold Stars in Chicago, Illinois. And you're listening to Mr. Swab's Mod Mod World at MrSwab.com. Oh yeah, baby. Howdy, hey kids. Here we are back again. Back with Modcast number 43, for those of you keeping track. I mean, I have to keep track, right? But it's always nice to know you all are following along. Like, remember those Disney records back in the day that had books with them? And uh, you played the little 45 and you turned the page every time you heard Tinkerbell? Yeah, I love those, but I digress. I got a special guest coming up that has nothing to do with Disney records, playback books, Tinkerbell, or any of that. That was his band kicking off the show that you heard there in the beginning. Great veteran power pop act out of Vancouver, BC. That is Star Collector. Since I knew we'd be discussing some of the band's newer material later in the show, I uh, reached way back into their past Back into the last century even for a couple of songs from their first two albums. First, starting the show off, that was Morningstar. Comes from Star Collector's first record released back in 1999 called Demo Model 256. They set the bar pretty damn high for themselves with that album, I have to say. It's it's a great sort of uh, guitar-driven Britpop sound. Solid power pop rock and roll vibe overall. As always, be sure to check out the Modcast homepage for show notes. Got links to the bands and stuff that I blather on about each Modcast. Track lists are there as well at SwabHQ, that is MrSwab.com. And you can follow me on Facebook.com slash ModModWorld. I post pretty regularly there between shows and all the other social distractions, you know, Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Okay, second Star Collector song. Keeping up with that first great album, uh, Star Collector delivered a sophomore album a couple years later. Pure straight-ahead power pop, still with the classic rock overtones. There's some kind of 90s power pop echoes in there that eh, brought to mind for me bands like Material Issue, Soup Dragons, The Posies, and so on. So here is Have You Seen Susie? from their Black Eyed Soul album. This is Star Collector. Mother came that day 
just why we killed her love And I'm sure It never leaves you Have you seen Susie? Slim. The partners have decided and you've got to go, brother. Oh, yeah? Now, Don O'Mike, don't be like no fuse you can't put out, you dig? See, now that's your motherfucking problem, Slim Sterling. You always the fool bringing a kitty cat to a dog fight. You're listening to Mr. Suave's Mod Mod World at mrsuave.com and on modradiouk.net. All right, we just heard Star Collector doing Have You Seen Susie? It's uh, off the 2001 release Black Eyed Soul album, I believe that's right, uh, which I think was the second album by the band, and we'll know in a second, because joining me right now is Vic Wayne from Star Collector. Vic, thank you for taking the time to be here and uh, chat with us about the music. Oh, well, thanks for having me, uh, Mr. Suave. Uh, should, I, should I call you Mr. or should I call you Rob? Now you can call me whatever you want to call me, Mr. Rob. I'll answer to pretty much anything. Uh, shaken martini, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yes, you uh, are correct. That is from our uh, second album, Black Eyed Soul. That's right. Yeah, Black Eyed Soul. And uh, this is uh, something that's interesting to me. That album is from 2001. Is that right? It is. Okay. And it was your second album. So, you know, you had been around doing some stuff for a while. And obviously that was a while ago. And <laughs> I, I have to get right to this because this is 20 years ago, literally. And it's exactly the kind of music I listen to. It's all the influences that I love. It has everything about it. I love oh, I'm your flattered. sound. Thank you. How did I not hear that until like the last six to eight months? Where, how did I miss this so completely? I don't understand it. Well, I'd like to say that it has something to do with the whole cross-border thing that we're in Canada and that <laughs> Americans don't pay much attention to Canadian music. But uh, we did actually play in Seattle quite a bit um, during those days. Uh, be bet. Between about, you know, two th uh, probably our first time there might have been 03 and we play and probably our last time before our little hiatus would have been 08. In fact, I think one of our very last shows was in Seattle at uh, Lo-Fi. 
at lo-fi yeah, yeah i've been to lo-fi uh it's just funny that uh you know you stumble across a band with great music and you're like wow then the nice thing for me of course is it's like brand new it's like discovering brand new music i have all this stuff to explore and enjoy and i have been um it's been really fantastic so thank you for hiding it from me for so long and, <laughs> and i'm sorry well, for not looking harder that's okay you know it, it's funny when you say that and i'm not gonna i'm not comparing us to big star but that's exactly what my little musical journey with big star was like they were around in the early mid 70s and i probably didn't hear my first big star record until about the mid 90s so it had been 20 some years and people would say you know that you sort of hear their name in the background and i'd go oh yeah i'll check them out sometime and then i finally got around to it and i had this like you know it, I mean, just a major epiphany. They're just phenomenal. Like, you know, and I'm not comparing us to them. I'm just saying that it's that same feeling, uh, I guess, you know, like when you discover something you dig. So that's very flattering. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. Um, well, the big star influences, I can hear those uh, through your music. Uh, lots of other influences as well. You know, tell us a little bit about how Star Collector got started. I have a couple of questions, but I want to kind of hear your uh, your journey as it were, I suppose. Okay. Well, it, it's actually, it comes in a few chunks. So I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version. But sure. the first chunk um, would be when I discovered what mod music was. And that would have been in my mid to late teens. And I was living in Edmonton, Alberta, and uh, just became monstrous fans of the jam. I'd always liked the Who and loved the Beatles and the Monkees and all this kind of you know stuff that had a certain pop sensibility. Um, but when I discovered the jam, uh, it was, again, it was one of those epiphanies, just the whole this whole musical world just opened up and uh, it was like, I found the thing I love. And I was in a band, a three piece <laughs> that covered a bunch of their stuff. And our originals kind of patterned itself after that a little bit. And we were sadly called the mods, which, uh, <laughs> that's you know, not pretty, sad. that's pretty funny in hindsight. I often really joke accurate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's right. I said in another interview, it's like calling your band, the heavy metals, <laughs> But, uh, you know, we didn't know that it was so generic. We just thought, wow, we found this, this new kind of culture and, you know, we totally embraced it and we were laughed out of school because, you know, during that time, everyone had long hair. And, you know, and in fact, I, brought, I know you're not going to see this on Radio Land, but I brought this for you to see because I know being that it's a mod show, you're going to appreciate this. Can you see this, what I'm holding up to the camera? And, but can you see the <laughs> autograph? on it? I can see it? that. You're, yeah, they do. Well, I can sort the jam of jam yes. t-shirt, wow, that's gift t-shirt autograph. Yes, we met them very, when they played. I was just wow. a kid, and, and our band flew to Vancouver and saw their very last show in North America, and got to meet them. Wow. And they signed stuff for us, and yeah, huge. Wow, that's pretty amazing. That must have been pretty cool uh, getting to meet them right at the time before they break up, obviously. But I mean, you're thinking they're gonna never stop going. <laughs> And I'm always going to love yeah. these guys. Um, which you so, so do. yeah, regardless of what happened with them, it kind of, you know, was a bit of a template for my musical life, you know, the majority of my musical life after that. And my brother was in the band and he's actually playing bass for us again. That's one of my future questions about your bass players. Okay. Yeah. That, that always gets a good <laughs> chuckle. We can visit that a little <laughs> later, but um, so it's wonderful having him and his influence. I mean, he has a lot of, you know, grew up on the same stuff that I did. So that takes us now to, so after that, I moved from Edmonton, came to Vancouver. Not long after I met Steve, who's my guitar player still. Nice. We were actually in a band together for six years um, and did quite, you know, some cool stuff up here in Canada and then broke up. And then the guitar player from the mods called me out of the blue and said, I'm moving to Vancouver. Would you like to write some songs? And it was the one little time where I didn't actually have a band going. And I thought, well, we had this great chemistry. So sure. What, you know, what can it hurt? 
And we just, in about four and five months, we wrote the whole first album and probably another dozen songs. Wow. And went in and recorded the majority of the album. And then unfortunately things didn't work out um, with him uh, after most of it was recorded. Uh, but, you know, we stayed friendly. Uh, and um, Steve came back in the picture and kind of retook over the guitar duties again. And that was, I mean, we Star Collectors on year 25 here. So yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing run. It's crazy. Yeah. And you guys, you do, I mean, obviously really looking at, you know, online, you're that era of, I don't know, late 90s to mid early 2000s, right? Like where the first three, four albums come out seems mm -hmm. to be like when you were really hitting your stride, obviously. And then uh, you take a little break and then we'll talk about it later on down the road too. Like the new stuff that you've got coming out. But yeah, it's pretty cool that you got to meet one of your your heroes at a concert like that uh, in the jam. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. And then the other thing that I'd happen to bring, because again, it's a modcast. Yeah. I don't know if you can see this, but yeah. So this is a book called The Jam The Day I Was There. And some guy in England was putting this book together a couple of years ago and put out just a post saying, anybody with some cool stories about seeing the jam wants to write in. So I wrote in and told my story about a bunch of kids from Edmonton flying there and staying in a hotel underage and meeting the band and all that. <laughs> and he published it and put our picture of our band in it and the whole thing. So yeah, so it was definitely a pretty informative uh, <laughs> time in, in my musical life, no question. Right. And which explains why when I, you and I were corresponding ahead of this, of course, and I said, well, I'd be interested to know what some of your inspirations are. Mm -hmm. And uh you, you had several really cool things, one of which was uh, now easily explained by your love for the jam. Uh, what was that? <laughs> the song Start by the jam. And the reason I chose that one, because you know I could have chosen a ton, is that was the very first song the mods ever played. And it was the very last song the mods ever played. And we've covered it in Star Collector. I got a t-shirt made with the 45 on it. Um, and uh, in fact, I'm wearing it on the picture on the album, back of our album cover. Uh, so that song has been, you know, I mean, and the thing too about it is it's got that total, you know, Beatle baseline thing that everyone right. laughs about, but it just combines so much of what I love into this three minutes of perfect pop. It, it is three minutes of perfect pop and we're going to listen to it right now. We'll be right back. Boom.
And that, of course, was Start by the Jam, one of Vic Wayne's uh, big inspirations. And he, lucky guy, got to meet them back in the day when he was getting started as a musician with uh, maybe even before Star Collector, I guess, right? Yep. Technically. Yep. Uh, so we're here with Vic from Star Collector, uh, just chatting about music, getting an idea of some of the things that inspired him. Besides the jam, I mean, that's a big inspiration for probably a lot of listeners and uh, musicians who listen. So, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I can talk about the jam for an hour, so we don't want to we don't want to spend the whole time talking <laughs> yeah, it doesn't about. Doesn't have them. to be a jam show. That is true. Uh, we can <laughs> we talk about a few others because you sure. you had told me about a few inspirations i'm like yeah i would love to to play the songs from all of them i can't play every single song no problem because we i want to play about your songs later yeah we'll get to those but yeah some of your other inspirations were pretty cool as well to me the obvious one no surprise the who and you had mentioned uh the real me from quadrophenia yeah so for me the real me uh might be my favorite song of all time rock song of all time okay. and because there's something i mean the obvious drum and bass stuff is just unparalleled in in rock and twistle and moon are just at the absolute top of their game and townsend's uh angst you know he, he gets that that perfect he totally gets the the character he's trying to create uh in jimmy there and uh you know i love the just the, the way that it it sort of talks about mental health even, you know, it, it's just, it's a really powerful yeah. song in so many ways, not just musically. And it just kicks that album off, um, which is again, one of my favorite records. Yeah. I, and we actually cover that once in a while, as long as we've got, you know, a bass player that nice. can handle the, the chore. Um, you'll get no argument from me because that's undoubtedly my favorite album is Quadrophenia. Nice. I, I love the real me. It certainly top off of that album except for maybe i have an odd song that i like it's not odd but i cut my hair uh -huh. this song that just i don't know what it was when i was 15 years old or so when i heard it and that like just you know right piercing right through my head somehow mm -hmm. uh has always been my favorite song off that album uh, well i love that song too it's i mean it's chock yeah, full of so yeah. many good ones but uh so yeah so the real me any, I mean, a lot of the same, it's sort of the thing with the who is like my thing with the jam. It's, you know, I can talk about them all day. I, you know, was a avid who collector as a youngster and, and, you know, they're, those two bands are right up there for me and always have been. So, but if I had to pick one song, it's going to be the real me. And that informs our live performance too. Sometimes people say, what, what, what's going to a Star Collector show like? Well, it's that kind of level of energy is what we strive to, to, wow, <laughs> to create. You, you've really set the bar you know, right? You got to achieve it. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not saying we yeah. achieve it. I'm just saying that's, no, that's, that's what great. we strive for. Um, you know, and <laughs> that kind of aspiration probably comes out in your love and passion of the, the music. So um, you had a couple of others that were not as obvious maybe for the whole mod thing as the jam or the who, but uh, great songs and inspirations. Where are those? Okay. So um, no more Mr. Nice Guy by Alice Cooper. I've talked about this one a couple times too in, in the last little bit. And the reason that that's such an influential song for me is as a real little kid, the two bands that I remember hearing a ton at my house was the Monkees and the Beatles. And I loved them both. And I still love them both. In fact, I named my band after a Monkey yes, song. Yes, I, I was getting to that question eventually too. And then when I was about 10, my mom and I were at a pizza joint in Edmonton. I don't know why it was just the two of us. There's four kids in my family, but for whatever reason, it's just my mom and I. And this was the days when they had jukeboxes. And somehow that song came on the jukebox and it was just like... Yeah, mind blown. 
synapses just started going. And I, and so I often refer to that moment in my musical life as the, the, that was the song that kind of bridged the gap from that sixties British pop thing that I grew up, that I loved as a four year old. Uh, and then, you know, got me to be able to appreciate Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin and, and some of the really good sort of garageier rock, you know, kind of riff yeah. music too. Uh, and I always, I'm always disappointed that Michael Bruce, who kind of wrote most of that song and wrote so many of their great songs in the Alice Cooper group, doesn't get the props that he deserves. Uh, it's nothing against Alice. I mean, great performer and good writer, but Michael Bruce was a, was a, a fine, fine songwriter. And um, so anyway, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Still to this day, get chills when I hear it. Yeah. Great song. And then the other one that I think I put down there was The Waiting by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yes. Which is you know, the reason that that one's so influential for me is I was a drummer back in the mods and in my bands in Edmonton. I moved to Vancouver, played drums in one band, and and uh, it, it just kind of soured my taste for being the drummer. And I kind of thought, <laughs> I, I'm writing songs, I'm singing songs, I got to get up front. Yeah. I, I would sit there and watch the Pack Up the Plantation live concert video of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And he starts out playing the waiting, just him solo with a spotlight on him in the middle of the stage without the band. He does like the whole first verse uh, and chorus solo, and then the band kicks in. And it was another one of those magical kind of give you chills moments. And But the other thing, not only was it magical, but I actually would watch his hands and I went, I can probably play that. I know enough chords and I, I just watched it and I just watched it and I watched it. And I figured out how to play the waiting, which is again, uh, still one of my all time favorite songs. And that moment was what allowed me to actually learn to be a guitarist with those great. moments of sitting there. And uh, so, you know, that was, in, you, you asked me for influential songs. So yeah, exactly. that's definitely influential for me. I w I'd still be a drummer probably, if not for uh, Tom. Well, th that's amazing. I'm always amazed by musicians who can watch or hear something and then over time figure out how to play it. I couldn't play an instrument. My life depended on it. And mm -hmm. I, tell people all the time well musicians need people that can listen to uh because that's what i do is i listen over and over and over but i it's great i mean you just watched him play and just picked it up just kept hitting rewind and kept hitting rewind and <laughs> and uh yeah that was that was the the song that gave me enough confidence to actually switch to guitar so that was a that was a big moment uh, influentially too and um, i know i didn't send these to you and i'm not going to belabor them because we only have so much time but i did make two more quick notes about uh, performers or songs that influence me. And uh, one is the the band, the Grapes of Wrath. Are you familiar with them? They're a Canadian band. I, I vaguely. Okay. So the they're, they're one of Canada's very, very best bands. Okay. And their singer and guitarist, Kevin Kane, um, co-produced a couple of our albums and played on a couple on those two and also plays on one of our songs that we're going to get to a little All later. Right. All right. And um, they he, he has a, an acoustic song and this is what really appeals. The reason I bring this one up is because it hugely appeals to the part of me that loves song craft and songwriting and songs that really hit you on a deep emotional level, which is something I do try to infuse even into our power pop thing. And uh, he has this song called all the things I wasn't. Um, if you haven't heard it, all I can say is go and get it. It's about two minutes and a bit of just mostly him on the acoustic and it's uh, unbelievable. So right. that, that one, and then the last one is Echo and the Bunnyman. Big Echo and the Bunnyman fan. Oh, yeah. That's great. I, I love when uh, people have kind of eclectic influences and inspiration as opposed to if your only inspiration was the jam or the who would end up being a little bit limiting. 
But yeah, when you well, kind of broaden yeah. this horizon and have these other things out there that you're listening to that are also influenced by those probably in some ways, maybe, but yeah, I, uh, I appreciate that a lot. And uh, that's why I always ask people, what are your influences and inspirations? What made you want to pick up a guitar or the drums, uh, the monkeys and the Beatles? You know, mm -hmm. when you're a kid, I can, I, I totally get that. Mm -hmm. Or an adult. <laughs> well, or an adult. That's true. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think that's, um, that's the thing about being a musician and especially about being a songwriter, I think is that you, you know, you learn over time what you wrote that actually stands the test of time and what you wrote that's actual shit. <laughs> you know, like you think sure. it's good. And then a year later you're like, Oh, ouch. And over time, as you, you write stuff, as you're writing it, you get to have that bullshit filter start to kick in. Right. So it doesn't, you don't have to wait until after the fact. Yeah. And the people, all those influences that I mentioned, Weller, Townsend, Tom Petty, Michael Bruce and Alice Cooper, Kevin Kane, the Bunnyman guys, Ian McCulloch, they all uh, pass that bullshit detector thing for me in spades. And I, I think that's why they're also important right. to me. When you become a, a good writer is a good editor. Yeah. Uh, it's the same in music, you know, it, and whether it's, I, I suppose whether it's the music or the lyrics, it's kind of the same. So you, you mentioned a couple of things uh, or one thing that I was going to ask you about where the, the name of the band came from, because I'm curious. And you said. It's from a monkey song. Right. Called Star Collector. Which, Love that song. Funnily enough, is about groupies. <laughs> yeah. And when we, in the olden days in the, our old drummer. So our, we had a drummer for, with us for about 18 years. Um, and then he moved, he had a kid and moved. To back to Edmonton, funnily enough, where we were from. And uh, we just called him Ringo, but his real name was Renee. But uh, Ringo is just like the best guy. And um, so we would do TV shows and interviews. And when we would have the whole band there, Ringo was like super good looking. So they'd ask where the name of the band came from. And I would say, oh, it's about groupies. And they inevitably would look over at him and say, oh, do you have a lot of groupies? And I'd have to <laughs> defer to him and say, well, he does. So yeah. <laughs> nothing against our new drummer. Our new drummer is just yeah. fine looking too. Love, but, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> I always thought that was funny. I love that song. And uh, I remember reading a few years back, it's like one of the very first songs yes, to use a Moog synthesizer. Uh, I don't know if it was the first, but, but arguably like one of the very first, uh, which is pretty cool when you think of, you know, the monkeys kind of get that rap of not having much musicianship because of the studio things early on, but they were pretty accomplished for the well, most part. Well, they certainly worked you know? hard to become accomplished, but they, in the end they did. Yeah. They're um, yeah, they're very underrated. Yeah. I mean, they had amazing yeah. songwriters for the first while, uh, but then, you know, they started writing their own stuff and, and certainly Mickey Dolan's voice is, you know, fab. So. Yeah. The other question I have to ask is it says on one of your pages online, it might be the Bandcamp page or something that, um, You've been through 18 <laughs> bass players. That's like more drummers than Spinal Tap had. <laughs> oh, way more, way more. <laughs> uh, okay, so I have to clarify that. That always makes for good press and as is proof here because you read it and you wanted to bring it up and uh, we do get asked about it. So eight, it's actually true. It's not made up, but it's not 18 people that were actually band members. It's 18 people that who at some point played on one song in the studio or played a show with us or did a tour with us. But for some reason, we always find ourselves between bass players and, um, you know, they'll be in the band for two or three years and then 
something will happen. You know, it's rarely anything bad. We're friends with all of them, but it's just, you know, yeah. got to move away. Going to have a kid, whatever it is. Right. Life happens. It does. So at this point, having my brother manning the base is, uh, you know, nothing sweeter. So that's your brother who's currently doing it. Yeah. So he, um, cool. yeah. So we, uh, we had a fellow Shane who played with us uh, for probably going on almost about nine years. He played with us for a couple of years during 100 Bulletproof, the fourth album. He recorded that with us. And then he was with us from about 2013 until uh, through partway through recording his album. And um, so we uh, parted ways during the recording and my brother came back in. So Shane actually plays on a few of the songs on the album. We kept his tracks because he did a great job. And then my brother, Adam, plays on most of the rest. Oh, well, that's cool. Keeping it in the family kind of is always a good thing, I suppose. Well, and I've played with Steve for so long that it's like he's just yeah. another brother. It's like, yeah, it's like having... Yeah. So Triplets. Steve, your guitarist. Yes. You and he have been like the uh is it you know, the heart and soul of Star Collector, like the two of you for the most part the whole time. And then you have these bass players and then maybe some drummers that come and go or well no, Ringo was with us for eighteen years. So oh, wow. long, time. long time. All right. Yeah. So the yeah, three he, of you he, were really yeah, yeah. solid. Okay. The three of us were so, were pretty solid for the longest time. But then when uh, when he had a kid and just said, you know, I, I just got to move. It's too expensive here in Vancouver and just need a change. So he and his wife and their little boy uh, moved. Um, and just, you know, as fate would have it, our current drummer, Adrian, who's celebrating three years with us this month, he uh, was in another really cool band that we had played a lot of shows with uh, for quite 15 years, probably called the Orchid Highway. And they were a little more 60s, a little more, you know, a bit more of that psychedelic thing, but certainly in the same wheelhouses as what we do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we would go see them. They'd come see us. We played lots of shows together. We did some touring together. And, uh, and in fact, their keyboard player, Derek, was the one who actually got us back together after our little hiatus. Um, we took about four, I don't know, four to five years off to do other stuff. I had kids and Ringo opened a restaurant and Steve wow. became a marathon runner. Wow. Yeah. And um, we just took, it was just really naturally took some time off between about beginning of 2009 and 2013. And in 2013, Derek, the keyboard player for the Orchid Highway said, you know, I'm just putting together this little Christmas gig thing with this fun band at this little club. And I've got Steve and Shane in the Christmas band. How would you feel about doing like just a <laughs> mini reunion, like three or four songs? And we hadn't played together, but we'd all stayed friends. And I, you know, Derek's a great little guy. And I just said, okay. Sure, why not? And and he said, okay. I knew if I could get you, I could get Ringo too. And <laughs> and Ringo joined in, and we had a, a really fun night. And it was so much fun that we decided we'd keep playing shows. And we didn't actually do any writing. We just played shows for about four years. Wow. Yeah, just having fun. Just having fun. Yeah, it really was just having fun. And then in 2017, some pretty heavy shit came down in my. Uh, I don't know. Can I swear on the podcast? Yeah. Okay. That's some pretty heavy shit. Shite. It's, it's okay. I, you know. I'm... Yeah, came, came down um, <laughs> in my life that kind of inspired me to um, start writing again seriously. And uh, and you know, I, I never like to be vague or evasive about it, but it's not specifically my story to tell. But it uh, it did. It, it was some stuff that happened in my world that was very um, chaotic and dark and, and powerful, and and it led me to start writing songs. And after I wrote the first one. It just, everything just flowed out. And I know we're not playing a ton of the, of our new album, but, um, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but um, the first six songs on game day are basically like a, a song cycle, I call it. I mean, you said Quadrophenia is your favorite album. Uh, it's almost like a, you know, it, that portion of the album is kind of yeah. like a, it's like a theme. A, 
Yeah. Well, we we could play uh, some of those because you have a couple that you had highlighted, and I love that album. So why don't yeah. why don't we start at the beginning? Game day. We'll listen to that right now, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that album in just sure. a second. Sounds good. Never 
All right, welcome back to Modcast number 483. I am joined by Vic Wayne from Star Collector. We're talking about Star Collector. We're talking about mod music, mod inspiration, general inspiration, all sorts of stuff. And we just heard uh, it's the lead track from your latest album, Game Day, title track, I guess, right? Yep. Fantastic song. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. It's definitely one that's, uh, I mean, when you're a songwriter, you kind of, they're all your babies, but that's definitely um, a favorite of mine. And it's about some pretty heavy stuff, even though it's got that high energy thing and, you know, it's even got hand claps, but, uh, (laughs) and, but it it was actually, you know, it's a heavy tune, but what another little anecdote that comes to mind when I think of that song is that Steve and I wrote that song in a real Lennon and McCartney way. Um, Sometimes I write stuff on my own and sometimes I write with Steve uh, and, uh, we were playing a gig in Seattle, funnily enough, because that's where you're from. Yep. And we were staying at a friend's house. And um, during the afternoon, we had some free time. And we just pulled out our guitars and sat on our couch, knee to knee, just like that, you know, those old pictures of Lennon and McCartney. And I had this chorus, and he had that intro riff. And we just kind of boom, 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 came up with the pre-chorus and, and the, ver- the verses. Like, just everything just flowed in this such a natural way. And I remember when we finished it, I just said to him, damn. I, I'm so happy with that song we just wrote. So um, I'm quite thrilled that it, it turned out the way it did and that we could actually open the album with it because not only is it a good album opener, but it's also uh, quite meaningful to me. And it really is the sets the stage for what the emotional tone of the record is. That's fantastic. And you did that in gen- essentially one sitting. Well, yeah, I, I had the chorus already and I had the title, but the rest of it was done pretty much in that afternoon. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the best ones come quickly. <laughs> and this album, uh, how long did it take you to put the whole thing together? Because it sounds like you're you're saying that the first half, at least, is kind of all one side one. I don't, you know, if it's yeah. Fine. So the first six, it's, there's ten songs on it. We recorded eleven, but the first six are this song cycle. Um, and then after that, you know, I kind of refer to the other ones as standalones. They're just songs that are not necessarily a part of the theme, sure. but we did feel that they all flowed together well as an album. And, um, and so, yeah, I started writing in 2017 and finished writing most of it in, in sort of mid 2019. And then we, we went in and started recording at the end uh, in December of 2019. And then fortunately our, our drummer, Adrian, who's not only an absolute killer drummer, which you probably on that listening yeah. to that last track i mean holy moly the guy's just amazing um but he's also an incredible sound engineer he and so we were able after we did the drums in big studios we were able to just do all this overdubbing literally either in his home or he'd bring his rig to steve's house and we do some recording there like it was really that sort of home yeah. recording vibe uh but we but the thing about it is having somebody that's in the band that has that talent and the equipment and a great ear for being an engineer is that we have the luxury of time and of course covid gave us even more yeah no kidding. to be able to just kind of do it and get it right and you know i've either produced or co-produced pretty much all the albums before but this is the one time that it took a year to do and i've never taken anywhere near that time before and I'm sure there were moments where Adrian was like, well, he told me the other night, just, you know, like where he'd be like, I can't believe Vic's telling me to put that, to redo that whole mix and just put the bass <laughs> up 0.5 of a DB. But then, you know, he said, okay, but we're getting some pretty good reviews on this thing and getting lots of play. He goes, so I'm going to remember that next time I'm doing a project. I'm not going to, you know, get upset. So a uh, bit of a taskmaster, I suppose. But, you know, it, it just that when you have that amount of time, you might as well get it right 
to the point where at least you're happy with it. And then you put it out there and you can be proud of it. And you know, if people shit all over it, well, that's their call. But luckily that hasn't been the case. You, you, you got it right. You uh, took your time uh, and, and did it right. I mean, geez, Uh, it's a fantastic album. Like I said, I enjoyed it very much. And for me, when I discover it and it's like all these, I hear all these echoes of other bands throughout the who and big star and, you know, different things throughout there. And I'm like, wow, it was just really kind of, uh, not in a bad way, bombastic, you know, like, like I was oh, just no, being I, overwhelmed. I'm good by with bombastic. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, bombast is, uh, that's my middle name. <laughs> I got no problem with that. I like a little bombast oh. here and there. So yeah, you guys, you guys nailed that. You're, you're right. You're probably uh, fortunate to have a great sound engineer on on side like that and absolutely uh, and a killer guitarist and bass player i mean you know i just i feel very lucky to have such talented people to be able to you know and i'm, I'm a pretty hack of a guitar player so uh, i wouldn't say that well that's because everything you're hearing that sounds good is actually steve <laughs> <laughs> anything that just sounds like someone slashing away at a rickenbacker that's me anything that's actually has fingers moving anywhere that's that's steve well it all sounds good to me so uh, i'm, <laughs> I'm right. enjoying it and uh that was the first uh, song to the album, Game Day. Mm-hmm. And then I said, if you had a few songs to pick, and you gave me, you bookended it, the beginning of that album, the end of the album, the other one was Funeral Party. So we're going to listen to that, and we'll come back in just a second, and you can tell me why, why you picked that one to go along with this. Sounds good. Let's 
you can cry if you want to But I, I would rather see you smile What's the point in asking why? It's my body, I can't die if I This is Defector Pop calling in from the wild and let you know that you are listening to Mr. Suave's Rock and Roll Modcast, where he features the best in power pop, mod, punk, jams, and everything else that his little heart desires up there in Seattle. All right, you are listening to Mr. Suave's Mod Mod World, as always, at mrsuave.com. Don't forget to spell out the Mr. Back in the day, people would forget to spell that out and uh, find all sorts of weird things when they got it wrong now now i'm pretty lucky most people can find me online so i'm happy about that most people will be happy to find you online star collector should i put a link up to the Bandcamp page or is there a website that you would rather i point people to to find you when they go looking um you know we're on all those streaming services so whatever you feel like I me mean, Bandcamp is is great it's um if you had to pick one sure and okay. our facebook page kind of serves as our website these days you know uh, and we do post on that quite often so probably the yeah. facebook and the Bandcamp page would right. be the I'll, I'll, put, I'll put a couple of links up there I, I just always try and figure out what does a band uh, i'm not always talking to them like i'm talking to you sometimes i'm just finding stuff and then linking to it so i just like to ask though where do you want people to go and find you uh, everywhere. <laughs> yes, everywhere. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that last track was actually the last track, I think, from the album, Game Day. That was Funeral Party. What can you tell me about that? Well, it's a tough call when you ask me to just pick a few songs. So, you know, right. because like every song on this album has a story. But I think Game Day was kind of a good example of that first six song song cycle. So I thought, let's just leave it there. One song about that from there. And then out of the other four at the end, the reason I like Funeral Party as a story is this. So first of all, I mentioned our old drummer, Ringo, just the salt of the earth, nicest guy you could ever, funniest guy in the world, always had us in stitches uh, whenever we would go on tour. And um, so the, the idea about the song is actually this. It's actually, you know how there's that saying that people will say, oh, well, when I die, I don't want people to be sad. I want them to have a party. So that's where the term funeral party came from. 
And I thought of all the people in my world, in my life, who do I know that would really want to have the best party if they died? And it was him. So I wrote that song about him. And there's lots, lots of inside jokes and inside, uh, you know, bits in there that only he would get. But for the most part, that's the gist of the song. And the other reason that I chose that one is because um, it's a little different. It's kind of got a swampy, almost like Led Zeppelin kind of vibe going on there. Like the drum and bass part, like is is kind of swampy and it's got some, it's almost halftime kind of stuff. It's not that straight ahead power pop thing. A bit more 70s maybe in there. Mm -hmm. And my brother Adam just played some incredible bass on that song. Like there's moments that every single time they come up and Adrian and I would be mixing it, we'd be hearing it for the 483rd time, which is same number as your modcast, funnily enough. <laughs> and my favorite number, by the way. And and we would still stop during those moments and just, oh, we both just like exhale, like, damn, that's the coolest bass stuff. So love Adam's bass playing in that song. But lastly, um, I mentioned Kevin from the Grapes of Wrath. Um, he lives in Toronto now. He used to live in Vancouver when we worked with him, but we've stayed friends and stayed in touch. And um, I thought this song is, it, it's got this ending that kind of vamps. And I had this idea that I wanted to hear a guitar duel. Okay. So we put Steve on the left speaker and I thought if I can get Kevin to play on the right speaker, the two of them can just have a freaking guitar duel and just take us to the end. And the way it turned out, and this is this is the interesting part from a tech perspective, is that Kevin didn't actually have Steve's part in the mix when he recorded his. So it wasn't like a, an actual duel where they were in the right. same room. It sounds like it. Uh, but Kevin came up with this stuff and Steve already had a part, but he hadn't recorded it yet. And when they when they got put together, it was like magic. It was almost like we didn't have to do anything more. Steve had to make a couple minor adjustments, but for the most part, it just kind of ran just like swimmingly. So, you know, and, I, and then Adam and Adrian and I are just kind of like crashing and bashing away to try to keep up with the two of them into the, into the sunset at the end. So it does have a, a bit of a seventies vibe to it. I think you're right a little bit. Um, I have to ask you, you've sort of alluded to this Ringo's still with us, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. He moved okay. to Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. He lives <laughs> and in Edmonton. How does he feel about his funeral party song? <laughs> <laughs> he, he actually was quite flattered. We also did a nice little, uh, a nice little, um, blurb about him, uh, you know, dedicating the record to him. And I mean, 18 years is a long time and we knew him as a friend for a number of years before right. that. So, um, you know, he's, he's definitely just, even though he's not with us, he's Family. always with us. Yeah. Right. Well, 18 years is a long time. And, uh, you have how many albums? Five, five, six full albums, five. Five, yeah. Five. And you have a couple of things because I wanted to hear a couple of things uh, off some other albums that you were mm -hmm. going to share. And so we can we can back up to one of those right now. This is earlier stuff, sort of. Uh, what? Um, but significantly earlier, about 10 years ago, maybe? Mm. Yeah, more, maybe even more like 15. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, you know, that, that whole trajectory of the way that we played and then took a break and then just yeah. gigged for a while. It just suddenly, you know, you're like, really? Has it been that many years? Doesn't feel like it. We all still feel like we're, you know, 19 in our brains, but I know, um, don't we all feel that way, right? Yeah. Well, it, that, and that's a nice way to be, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yeah. So the, this song uh, that we're going to talk about, is called the evil room and it's off our hundred bulletproof album, which was our fourth album that Kevin did work on too. And this has Shane on bass and Steven Ringo. And, um, the reason that I, I chose this one is I love the story behind this song. So in our band, the mods. Adam, my brother, and Dave, the guitar player, and I, um, when we were, you know, this is during our huge jam phase and everything, and when you're young and you think you can conquer the world, <laughs> we literally, this isn't made up, this is true, 
my dad had this room in the basement that was kind of in the back, kind of hidden, no window in it. And it just was this kind of room that he barely ever used. He had all like a whole bookshelf full of war, World War II books. And it just had this, we, and Dave dubbed it the evil room one day. He used to say, oh, let's not go to the evil room. We're all teenagers, remember? Yeah. And one day when we were really feeling it, when we thought, you know, we're writing songs now, we're getting gigs, we're, you know, we, we went into the evil room and we held hands seance style, the three of us, and we made a pact that one day we'd be bigger than the Beatles. And then, well, you know, and that's, the, that's the, that's the <laughs> optimism of youth. So, so that is what the song is about. It's actually about uh, the optimism of youth of uh, three foolish young guys in Edmonton sitting in the evil room, making a pact to one day be bigger than the Beatles. I don't think it's foolish at all. I think it's fantastic that uh, oh, thanks. Kept, kept you going for quite a while, hasn't it? Yeah. And I just, I really like the song. Oh, and then the other part that I forgot to mention is I actually wrote that song with Dave, which, uh, you know, we, we, he wasn't playing in the band anymore, but he sent me some music and I picked out some bits that I really liked, which included the intro riff and, and just kind of wrote the rest of the song around it. And uh, so it was a, a, a apropos that uh, it was a song about me and him and my brother. Right. All right. Let's listen to that.
daddy's tomb in the evil room made a deal and shooting for Mars the future was ours the future was open wide like space we wished for the stars was that so bizarre the stars were the faces of Dorian Grace and shooting for Mars the future was ours It's open wide like space We wish to be stars Is that who we are? Or simply the faces of Dorian Gray? Right, we are back with Vic Wayne from Star Collector. That was the Evil Room. It's from Hundred Bulletproof, uh, your fourth album. Um, yep. Great song. Your songs. Uh, I was noticing this as I was listening to a bunch of things, and, and we had talked about this a little bit previously. Um, you don't always just have two minute, you know, boy meets girl pop song type things. You know, power pop, uh, the type of stuff that we love to have fun with. But you do a lot of uh, deeper stuff. And I noticed that a lot of your songs, I mean, you're a power pop band. There's no doubt about that. And yet you're not just a two and a half to three minute power pop band. You have lots of uh, longer songs, four and a half, five minutes, six minutes, you know. Um, and there's not a lot of power pop bands that do that. So I appreciated it. Well, you know, I think that we th thank you. That's very kind of you. And, you know, we do try to just kind of go where the music takes us. And sometimes that means that the song needs, in our opinion, needs to be six and a half minutes. There's, there's some people that might say, well, that's a bit, you know, extensive or, but uh, if it feels like it needs to have a, you know, an outro that needs to be a minute and a half long for whatever reason, then that's what we do. And, you know, uh, but I appreciate that. It's very nice of you to say, Rob, that we, uh, cause we do take a lot of care in what we do. Yeah. And it, it shows, I mean, you obviously are really interested in writing, songs that uh, sound good and have some emotional impact or some meaning for you and the other uh, players and so on. Uh, and I, I growing to really appreciate that in listening to your older stuff, you know, in getting ready to listen to this, as I mentioned, I only discovered you guys a few months ago and it was primarily with the new album, of course, game day, but then I get to go dig through all of the sort of back catalog and you had you and I had corresponded about some songs and things. And so I picked a couple of songs to start out the show. And I went back early because I thought, I'm, I'm just going to go back and pick those because it wasn't something that we were necessarily going to speak about. And you were uh, talking about the, the one song, Have You Seen Susie? Um, and I, I loved that. And Morningstar was the other one that I opened the show with. Both of these are great songs. Um, but I don't know. You you mentioned that you had uh, that one was. Have you seen Susie? Is a pretty cool, uh, poignant song for you. Uh, it is actually. Uh, um, I was just going to mention Morningstar. I think that's the first time anyone's ever played that on the radio. 
Really? Yeah. It's, okay. uh, it, it, I mean, that's, and which is really cool. When you told me uh, just before we went on that you had chosen that song, I, my gut instinct was, oh, well, why don't you play Skyscraper off that album or Slow Fade? Like, those are the I could have, I could have picked anything, really. But I'm glad that I didn't because I'm like, hey, man, it took that song took 22 years to get its debut on the radio and it got it. But the thing about that one that makes me chuckle is I actually played drums on that. It's the only Star Collector song that I actually played drums on. There you go. That's why I picked it. Because <laughs> because of its bad drumming, so okay. So have you seen Susie? I'm, it's nice that you decided to go back and ask me about that. That's quite a poignant song, actually, uh, for me. It's about a real girl named Susanna that was in my elementary school, and it, it it doesn't paint a very nice picture of me and the other people at school because it's really a song about bullying and the mental health effects that it can have on kids. But when you're nine or ten years old and you're playing in the re at recess you're not really thinking about the feelings of some poor girl who may not meet the standards of beauty that you expect of, you know, which is really what the problem was for us, our problem really, but um, it translated into some pretty mean stuff. And then one day, uh, I think it would have been maybe the beginning of grade six, she just wasn't there at school anymore. Her parents had just up and moved. And I don't know if it had to do with the fact that she had this relentless bullying for a few years in school, or if it was just that maybe her dad got a job. I don't know. She just disappeared. But I always sat with that guilt and that remorse about my part in, mm -hmm. in being a shit. And um, so, you know, as songwriters do, a little bit of catharsis is by writing about it. So that's what Have You Seen Susie's about. It's sort of an apology song that hopefully one day, if she hasn't already, maybe she'll hear it. I don't know. Wow. Well, um, I'm glad that you uh, could share that. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. No, um, not at all. Uh, but uh, the song, I, I heard it and I was like, wow. And uh, so I thought I would include that. And I, your early albums, later albums, I mean, I could pick just about anything and play them. They would fit right in. Everybody would love them. So I don't know. I just picked those. And it turns out that uh, they're ones we could have an interesting conversation about. And then you have one more that you wanted to share, too, that I really liked as well. Well, I'm not surprised you like this one because you got that Who poster behind you that I can see. And <laughs> yeah. uh, this song definitely is influenced by the Who, there's no question. Um, this is another one that Steve and I wrote together called Overpass, and it's from our Flash Arrows and the Money Shot album, our third album, that Kevin also worked on. And on this album, uh, our bass player, DeJour, his name was Tyson, uh, Tyson Mako, and he went on to play with this punk band, Gob and um, alt country singer named Leroy Stagger, who he played with for a long time and uh, just a phenomenal bass player. Um, so it was really nice having him on that album and Kevin as well. Uh, but the reason that I, I chose that song is because, okay, we've talked about some heavy stuff, but I wanted something that was just fun as a, you know, as a capper. And Steve and I wrote this one with a lot of kind of off the cuff stuff. Um, <laughs> it's actually a song about streaking. <laughs> so, this is again hearkening back to the days when Dave and I were teenagers. So Dave and I and a friend, another friend, were drinking a little too much uh, at my other friend's house, and he lived near a ravine and a park. And we thought it would be funny in our drunken state to take off all our clothes and run through the ravine and of hope course. no one saw us. <laughs> and and uh, and then we went and hid, and uh, we saw, heard some people coming, so we went and hid in that in these one of those little. Uh, uh, park uh, houses, you know, those little, <laughs> this sounds so creepy now that I say it, <laughs> you know, those little, those little houses that they have in kids parks where kids yeah. play. Yeah. So there was three like <laughs> naked teenage boys hanging out there, not so they wouldn't be seen. And it turns out, this is the true, 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 true story. It turns out that the guy that we heard coming, walking by that we were trying not to see us was Dave's brother. 
Oh no. So <laughs> we just were silent as could be. And of course we're drunk and giggling and stuff, but luckily he didn't see us. And it was right. Uh, and his brother walked over to the, uh, over the overpass, which was right there near the school. <laughs> so all that being said, that informed the lyrics of the song overpass. Yeah. Uh, when I was listening to the, the album, that one, it, it has a garagier feel to it, a little edgier. Maybe these were guys who were out streaking somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that uh, whole album has a little bit more of a garagey vibe to it. I think it had something to do with our first time working with Kevin and his idea that you don't over rehearse. Like you rehearse a lot, but you don't, you know, you don't try to make like the album before that, the one that Have You Seen Susie was on, to me was a little bit, the production was a little sterile compared to some of the others. So I think we kind of went the other direction. We did that whole record from very first track to finish mixing in 15 days. So the mantra was get in, do your very best and get out. So that album has this garagey kind of swagger to it. And, um, and I really like that album for that reason too. So, but yeah, Overpass is just a, a good bit of fun. All right, let's listen to Overpass. We'll be right back in a minute and we'll talk about a couple of other things before we wrap up. Malibu and so 
right, we are back, Mr. Swab's Mod Mod World, talking with Vic from Star Collector. That was your your streaking song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, that, Overpass. Exactly. And uh, what was the album is? Flash Arrows and the Money Shot. Flash Arrows and the Money Shot, which when I first saw it, I thought, is that two? Are those two albums? But it's one album, Flash yeah. Arrows and the Money Shot. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we've talked a lot about inspirations uh, and how you write your songs and things and, and where you got your original kind of uh, inspiration from. Um, what are you listening to now? What's uh, something that's kind of cool? Are there bands that you are excited about? Uh, what what might surprise people that you're listening to? Okay, well, I'll start with a few. Um, I jotted down a few when we were talking about some of the people that I'm listening to right now. And this has okay. a lot to do with this. Uh, you know, the, the power pop community, as they call it, has been unbelievable in supporting our record, but it's also all these different podcasts and shows and other artists that have, have this amazing community and they all support each other. And when you listen to some of these shows, you, you catch on to all these other songs and artists that you go, oh man, it's like we were talking about at the beginning, we're bringing it all back full circle to the big star moment, right? For me, or, you know, you just go, wow, like, I can't believe I didn't listen to those people before, or maybe it's their first record. But yeah. so there's a few artists that have records that are just out now that I've really enjoyed. Like, um, there's a fellow named Jim Trainer who has an album out called uh, Staring Down the Sun, which is phenomenal. It's top to bottom. And uh, a fellow named Kevin Robertson, who's in a band called The Vapor Trails out oh, of yeah. Scotland. And he just did a solo album called Sundown's End, which nice. is also incredible. Um, a guy named Dolph Cheney, who's on Big Stir Records, a band called Legal Matters that um, are on Future Man Records, uh, some hometown friends of ours called Underwater Sunshine that put out an, a new album. You, you have a list of all of these. You mentioned a couple of them to me, but keep that list because um, I'll find a way to, to uh, you know, add, add some of that in. In fact, what I've done in the past is when I don't have time to include everything, I just go find the stuff on YouTube and put the videos up and then i start sharing them around a lot of places so oh, man. good music well, demands to be shared do it well uh, yeah jim trainer the song heaven descending or the song truth or the songs by kevin robertson called uh, love's blue yonder or sundown's end i mean they're just magical all of them okay. uh jeff shelton who's got a band called the well wishers and a new um more sort of trippy psychedelic project called deadlights he's a super talented guy and in your backyard actually there's a band called the purrs which have been around for a long time but we played with them the last time we were there and we played with them about 15 years ago. And I've been really just slowly discovering their their catalog. It's just really great psychedelic kind of trip, tripped out kind of, I don't know if you ever cool. listened to the purrs, but they're really cool. Um, and then a band that put me on to you called that are a mo total mod band called RAF mod band oh, out yeah. of Portland. Yeah. So they're the ones who actually told me about Mr. Slav's <laughs> modcast in the beginning. So I got to send props to John Crawford and to Josh, Millman in yeah. Portland. I love all those guys. Yeah, just brilliant. Um, and then, of course, lastly, um, which maybe will take us into this song, the reason I chose this one, if I had to pick one, I chose the song Rock and Roll Save My Soul by the Dirty Sidewalks. And I chose them because A, they're from Seattle, where you're from, mm -hmm. and B, because I just freaking love the song. Yeah. But mostly, uh, the last reason is because um, the fellow who plays guitar and produces it, he and his brother, the Fosters, um, Evan Foster, who's also in the Boss Martians and the Sonics. Mm. He, uh, I did the very first demos for this game day album with Evan at his studio, No Count in Seattle. Just the two of us, and I just recorded three songs with the acoustic. 
And one of them made it onto the album. Uh, it's the acoustic one called Hook, Line and Singer. And Evan sings a bit on it. And, um, and then uh, we, I went sort of, that was the, the very sort of seed of the, of the recording of the album. So um, I've known Evan for about 20 years now and always loved what he did. And when he played me the Dirty Sidewalks for the first time, I was just like, no way. That yeah. is so, because it's, it's a little bit different than his other projects. Um, but that song just, yeah, it's brilliant. I don't know if you know it, but let's, um, let's, let's play it. We, we will. It has so much swagger. They, oh. the, that and I'm, I was blanking now. There was another song that had a really good video for it a few years ago from them. Um, hey, girl, maybe. I'll look yep. those up. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's just some fantastic music, and uh, it is a, a nice way to kind of wrap things up. Um, I really appreciate your taking the time to do this, and uh, I have fun talking about music, especially with people who enjoy talking about music too. Uh, Absolutely love it. Yeah, it was it was really fun. Thanks, Rob. Great. So uh, remember, listeners, if you're out there, hit me up on uh, mrsuave.com. You can leave a comment there. You can follow me pretty much any social media. Facebook.com slash modmodworld is where I do most stuff. Uh, Twitter, Instagram. Don't look for me on Pinterest. No Pinterest yet. Probably not ever. But um, nothing about Pinterest. Just just no interest for me in Pinterest. But uh, yeah, mrsuave.com for the track list. I'll have the links to uh, Star Collector and other things that we chatted about. And I'm going to put up some of the videos for some of the bands that you just mentioned as new artists that are good inspiration and because uh, good music demands to be shared and we should get it out there 100 percent. all right Vic, thank you very much for being here i appreciate it i'm mr suave thanks for listening